if I'm not funny, what do I do? And I have good news and I have bad news for you. If you're not funny, that means you're funny. A hmm. huge aspect of humor is being bad at something. How do creative entrepreneurs make lifelong raving fans when they communicate? That's the question. This show has the answers. My name is Chris Lazo. Welcome to the Conversional Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Chris Lazo. Welcome to the Conversional Speaking Podcast. Here at Conversional, we're all about making raving fans with the way that we speak. That just means making a deep connection with others using our words. And I'm pretty excited because today, for the first time, I've actually got a friend on the podcast to talk with me. His name's Ariel. And we're going to discuss not only speaking, but the use of humor in our speaking. The reason I asked Ariel onto the show today is because I remember in years past, we joke about being reserved or quiet. We're both creatives. We like spending some of that time by ourselves, being imaginative, creative. And so imagine my shock when during, I think it was like a, what was it? It was like a... Open mic night, basically. It was an open mic night. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Ariel gets up and does a full-on stand-up comedic routine and had a room full of 50 people in stitches. And from that moment, I'm like, I got to talk to this guy. I need to know how he does that. And this, this was a long time ago, but it came up again after my 30th episode, which was how to be funny. And after that, I realized, gosh, I got to get Ariel on the podcast to talk about funny, not just from a book, but from somebody who does this regularly. So everybody, this is Ariel. Ariel, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I'm just going to jump into some of these questions. If you could share your story with us about how you got into humor and comedy. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for having me on, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Before we get started, I do just want to take this as an opportunity to sell some (laughs) t-shirts. I'm wearing an Ariel for President 2028 t-shirt. And if you are interested in purchasing one, they will be available on (laughs) chrislazo.com. If Chris gets at least 100 people to contact him and demand that he sell the t-shirts. What's my royalty percentage? We'll we'll talk about that later. Okay, we'll talk about that later. It is very weird being on your podcast because I don't have headphones on right now, so I didn't get to hear the intro music. And so I don't, it doesn't feel like we're really started without the music. And so I kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe we should do like a salute to the troops or say the Pledge of Allegiance or something. Is, is that be, would that be okay with you, Chris? The Pledge of Allegiance? Whatever gets you in the zone. Okay. Whatever gets that you sounds, in the zone. That sounds good. Okay. Well, how about a toast? We'll start with a toast. To my tongue. We're giving a toast to my tongue because we couldn't do this podcast a week ago because I bit my tongue and I couldn't speak. It's true. This was scheduled for last week, but the guy bit his tongue. Yes. And I couldn't use my mouth. And so all that being said, I'm happy to be here and I'm hoping to steal some of your raving fans uh, for my own They're already promotional gone. They're already gone. They're gone. What was the question? <laughs> Can you share uh, your story about how you got into humor and comedy? I, very similar to Batman. Both of my parents were murdered. I can't, no. Um, I say I'm very similar to Batman since I have a tragic backstory. My name is Ariel and I share uh, a name with a famous Disney princess. And in elementary school, kids were pretty brutal. And so they would make fun of me. And I didn't enjoy that. And so I started getting snarky and having comebacks. And I basically huh. realized that if I could get people to laugh, they weren't laughing at me. 
And so uh, that was felt powerful and it gave me some agency in the interaction. And then I realized even if they were laughing at me, if I was the one in control, it still didn't hurt as much. So mm. um, that's where I discovered like self-deprecating humor, right? You make uh, fun of yourself, yeah, yeah. but I'm the one. You will laugh when I say laugh. You're in control of, yes. of the laughing. So that's kind of how it got started. And when it happens that young, it just kind of sticks with you and you start using it as you grow up. Uh, and I've just kind of weaved it into every area of my life. But that's where huh. it started. What would you say? That's like a defense mechanism. Yes. If people are going to laugh at you, at least you're in control of <laughs> yes of what they're laughing at. And it's it's a defense mechanism. It was also a coping mechanism. So I am one of six kids. Uh, my dad was the sole provider for the house, so we were poor. We at one point we were in a two bedroom house with eight people. I remember for many years we didn't have a television show, and so my uh, siblings would take a cardboard box, they would put it on the television stand, they would pop their heads through and they would do TV for us. And the younger kids got to change the channels and the older kids would act stuff out and we would laugh. And then uh, on days where my dad would make us uh, clean the yard or, or clean the garage, we would sneak into the garage and we would set up comedy corners. And it was uh, improv and you would just have to make all the rest of the siblings laugh. And you couldn't, it couldn't be pre-written, you're just wow. on, on stage and you had to go. and it helped us cope. We would joke about uh, our, our parents and the rules they made us do. We would uh, do impersonations yeah. of, of siblings and cousins and stuff. And so it helped us cope with, with being poor. And I think being black, you see a big part of black culture is we call it like roasting or shooting on each other where sure. we'll get into a circle and we'll just start clowning each other. And a huge aspect of that is simply that, hey, we've gone through a lot and we're trying to cope. We're trying to make uh, bring light to struggling and hard times. And so it was a defense mechanism, it was a coping mechanism, and then it was a teaching mechanism. Huh. As I grew up um, and matured, and I got opportunities to speak in various settings, I discovered, oh, if I throw a joke in here, I throw a joke in there, it grabs people's attention. And so I grew up in the church, and I'd be giving a Bible study, and you could be reading a Bible verse that talks about, you know, if you obey this verse, your whole life will change, and people are falling asleep. While you're, while you're saying this life-changing information. And I discovered if I throw a joke in there, you, you can you <laughs> stare at someone as they're falling yeah. asleep during your talk. Yeah. You tell a joke, they hear the laughter, they'll wake up and they'll re-engage. Right. And then um, storytelling as well does the same thing where you're reading this amazing verse or this super important thing, people are tuning out. And then you just say, last week I was at the grocery store and people's eyes just <laughs> widen and they're listening to you. And if you can capitalize that storytelling and add it, make make it be humorous at the yeah, end of it, yeah. it, the payoff is so big. And now you have your entire audience back and it's like you just started over again. So, right, right. Yeah. So defense mechanism, coping mechanism, teaching and mechanism. Teaching mechanism is very interesting. You could be talking about something cosmically important of like eternal value, but people won't be listening unless you, <laughs> unless you crack a joke, grabs their attention, disarms them a little bit, builds trust. Yep. From that story, would you say you learned to make people laugh or was this just something that came naturally? For me, it was definitely uh, observation and repetition. So observation because I was, I have a little sister, but all the rest of my siblings are older than me. So the TV shows and the comedy corners, I was more or less observing that and taking it in and repetition because I think the first time I ever spoke publicly was a speech and debate class in high school. And 
it was a class, but then there was also a club. And this was just the class, right? So it was like an elective class. So it, a whole bunch of people were in there. They weren't necessarily people into speech and debate. Yeah. Um, but the people that were into speech and debate were also in the class. And so I get up and I give my first speech. And I'm using humor because the only presentations I had seen are my siblings being silly, you know, and pastors at church. When, when they use humor, I liked it. And then when my siblings use humor, I liked it. So I used humor and just blew these people away. And I was terribly confused. I didn't, it wasn't like trying to be funny or trying to be awesome or yeah, trying to be yeah. whatever. And these kids that were in speech and debate were like, how did you do that? And they thought it was this huge thing. Hmm. And I was just like, I don't know. This is kind of how I grew up. This is what you do when you give a speech. You try to make people laugh. Like it's the purpose, like bring them joy and, you know, give them information, but make it enjoyable. Sure. And so after I saw that reaction, then I was like, ooh, I think I have something here. <laughs> and then you start weaving it into everyday conversation. You yeah. start writing uh, Facebook statuses that are funny. You're like, ooh, this one got nine jokes or nine likes. This one got 14 likes. What's the difference here? Oh, this one got 30 likes. Oh, this one got 100 likes. That joke got 100 likes that I have something here. And so it is it, it's just repeating it over and over and over again, testing it out, testing it out, testing it out, and fine tuning it as you went along. Almost trial and error. Yeah. Less like analyzing a joke and more just you, you're just kind of, I remember you said you did improv as a, as a child with your family. Like you just kind of learn yes. as you go, like what makes people laugh? Is that kind of a, yeah. how it worked out? Absolutely. It's, it's so funny. And I know you've read a lot of books on humor, but there's something very disgusting and wrong when you read for like three hours about humor and it's not funny. You, you know what I mean? Meaning, <laughs> meaning the author who's writing about humor isn't funny? Yes, it's, it's, it's not funny. There's, you can, humor can't be boxed in. It's not something, it's not an academic thing. It's an in-the-moment improvisation. I'm playing off you. So, right, if I come to this podcast and I'm like, I'm going to say A, B, and C, right? And then you don't laugh at A, B, or C. And you actually start to get mad at me. And you're like, hey, Ariel, I invited you on this podcast. You're not doing what I asked you to do, right? But I'm like... Nope, I'm sticking to this, right? That's not going to be beneficial. That's not going to bring you joy. That's not going to make you laugh. It's not doing what I intend to do. So I have to improv. Okay, I was going to say these things, but Chris isn't responding to that. But I noticed when I did my shoulders like this and made eye contact and smiled at him, and now I'm moving my tongue around, he's laughing. All right, Chris likes physical humor. I'm going to go there. So it's the ability to adapt and overcome each situation. I mean, that's why when... Stand-up comedians do crowd work. It's so impressive because you're like, whoa, 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 wait, no, no, no. He's reacting to that guy's shirt. There's no way he could have known that that guy was going to wear it. He's making this up in the moment, right? And it's like people are like, wow, you're improving this? Like hmm. this isn't pre-written and it feels so much uh, more natural. I once heard a pastor who says he never writes jokes in his sermons. Like he never pre-writes them, but he always has them. He says, because I know that when I get up there, I'm going to do something silly. I'm going to mispronounce a word. Yeah. Someone in the crowd is going to sneeze. And, he, and I'm, I'm going to have three or four jokes. So if I write three or four jokes and then I improv three or four, now I'm going to have eight or nine jokes. And maybe that's not what I want to do. So he just relies on observing what's happening, reacting to it, improving and adapting uh, in the moment. Sure. Is that if someone were to want to do some kind of improv like you had when you were when you were younger, What's the basis of improv? Like, how do you do that? How do you make that happen? You had like two or three people. Yeah. The show must go on is is the thing that always goes through my head. Or the I, you've probably heard yes and, right? So if you're mm. improv with another person and someone says, uh, 
let's walk across the street. You don't say, no, let's not walk across the street. You say, yes, and let's move our arms around while we do it, right? And people will start laughing. Oh my gosh, they're both moving their arms around as they walk across the street. And sometimes you're like, what are we even laughing at? But it's because you said yes and you you adapted to it and you're not shutting things down, you're keeping things moving. That's why I say the show must go on. And so one thing that I do to help with my improvisation skills is I freestyle rap. And so I will go on YouTube, I'll get a beat, and I'll start rapping. I'm not particularly good at rapping, but it's always funny, and I just say the show must go on. So I'm gonna go for two minutes, right? Yep. And sometimes by the end of two minutes, it's complete and utter gibberish, but <laughs> anyone else in the room is rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> Because you're you're adapting to the moment, you're coming up with the top of your head, you're practicing, huh. you're practicing, you're practicing, and it becomes easier as you go along because you start to recognize patterns, you start to recognize, oh, this makes people laugh consistently, these words rhyme together, whatever it is, it's just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. Yes, and is my philosophy of grocery shopping. It's gotten me in a lot of trouble. I should probably pay off of that. Here's a, here's a million dollar question. Okay. How do you make somebody laugh? Like, what are the mechanics behind a joke? If you were to deconstruct how something funny works uh, to somebody who's just not funny, what would you say? I would say you are trying to throw logical and emotional surprise parties for people. That's what I would say. So a logical and or emotional surprise party, meaning you take someone's line of logic where they think something is going and then you give a surprise for them, right? So you do something that goes against the logic line they had established, and then you throw them a party. And so it has to be enjoyable and it has to be fun, right? Or you can do the same thing with emotions where you're telling a very sad story and then you give a surprise, right? Where you use comedy or joy or you use uh, some type of emotion they're not expecting to experience there. Um, it's a surprise and it has to be a party. It has to be enjoyable. So logical and emotional surprise parties, but it has to be a surprise. So it has to be unexpected and it has to be a party. It has to be enjoyable. If it's not a surprise, right? If it's, if it's predictable, right? People may, may groan uh, or they'll just say, that's not funny. Or I saw that coming. Uh, I've been in stand-up comedy uh, settings where people will whisper, oh, he's going to say this, right? He's going to say this punchline and they say it. And it's like, huh, I knew that. It wasn't clever. It wasn't, you didn't surprise me. You didn't deceive me, right? Sometimes I think of it as enjoyable deception, right? Where hey, I'm taking you on this journey and you think you know where it's going and then I switch it up. So that's the surprise. That's the deception, but it has to be enjoyable. When it's not enjoyable, that's when it becomes bullying. You know, when hmm. I am taking you on this ride, I am... Surprise, actually, I'm calling out some physical feature or I'm calling out your religion or I'm calling out something, but it's not enjoyable. It's with the intention to hurt you, right? Okay. And so for me, a lot of it is just the process of showing people, hey, I'm not here to give you any harm. I'm not here to do you any harm at all whatsoever. I am a friend. I am warm. I am kind. And you experience a little bit of fear and anxiety as I lead you up to this moment. And that surprise is fearful, but then you immediately see it's harmless. So there is a big connection between fear and humor. I was reading an article that said many of the ways people try to describe how humor works could also be applied to horror movies. And so they're like, people just try to oversimplify it and say, oh, you just do or say the unexpected. It's like, well, that's what they do in horror movies. Sure, yeah. And it's like, what's the difference between a horror movie and a comedy? In a horror movie, if you're walking down a hallway and a closet opens 
and someone pops out with a knife, that's fear, right? That's not safe. Right. In a comedy, if you're walking down a dark hallway and you open the door and there's a clown juggling, right? It's now, now I feel safe. Yeah. Now I, I feel it, it laugh. That's the, the surprise is, is kind. It's benevolent. Sure. It's I, enjoyable. I'd love to, I'd love to focus in on that. Cause when you said, it, it sounds like from what you said, humor is wrapped up in some kind of a surprise. People are expecting something and then there's a surprise. But if I were to get up and tell a story, you know, once upon a time, me and my mom or me and, you know, a friend went to the grocery store and then she died. Thank you, everybody. You know, like, <laughs> that's unexpected, but it's yeah. not funny. It's yes. kind of depressing. Exactly. So uh, what makes the, how do you make something unexpected funny? Yes. Like I said, it has to be the word party keeps, it's a surprise party. Right there is joy, there is levity, there is a release of tension. Hmm. There is there are positive emotions. Like that, it's it's that moment where you. I don't know if you've ever been in a surprise party, but you open the door and people are yelling, right? And so there is this fear or this anxiety that something bad is about to happen. And then the switch up is, hey, this is actually very good. This is actually mm. very light. This is actually bringing a smile to my face and creating that contrast is something that makes the joke more powerful. And so if you engage someone in a really uh, deep emotional story and people are feeling like invested and then you come with a punchline at the end, right? And they're totally caught off guard because the direction you're headed is one way and then the punchline comes and going the completely opposite direction, it, it'll be very powerful because people have, they believed right they believed sure. you you and you deceived them you you <laughs> you got them to buy in you got them to follow you on this journey and they were invested in the outcome and they thought it was going to be one thing and then you can just completely switch it up sure and then you're saying the switch up though has to make them feel good in some way yes it <laughs> has to make, make them feel it has good. to be it has to be a party like a good gotcha yes it has to be a party if okay. it's not a party if it's if the switch up is and we're making fun of you as a human being and we're tearing you down and we're making you feel bad. We're belittling you. We're not lifting you up. We're tearing you down. That's it. It, it morphs into bullying. Sure. It's or inappropriate, right? It, yeah. It's inappropriate, right? This is not something you should be joking about the punchline. There's obviously comedians that will debate. There's nothing that you can't joke about, uh, but it takes talent to do that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this makes sense with maybe a stand-up comedy routine, but I'm curious about work and if there's ways of bringing humor into work where you, you don't have like a five minute, 10 minute space to, to rattle off some jokes and humor, you yeah. know, at a club. Uh, what are some of the challenges at work you've dealt with that you can share and have you ever used humor or levity to deal with those kinds of challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So I am in law enforcement. I am also 6'1", I am 250 pounds, I am an African-American, and I carry a gun. With everything going on in the nation right now, there are many people that don't necessarily see me as safe, right? They see me and fear may come across their minds. I could be a physically imposing figure, and I meet with people and I interact with people, and if they are afraid, it's going to be a bad interaction. And so I need to show people that I am safe, that, hey, that fear, I'm about to give you a switch up, right? Hmm. And so I use humor to disarm people all the time where I'll crack a little joke and you see confusion 
and then joy because they're just not expecting me to be kind and to give them this gift of laughter, unexpected joy in this moment. And so it, it is very, very, very helpful in, in disarming people and showing people, hey, I come in peace, hmm. right? I came yeah. to make you laugh. Whatever their fear could be. In my case, yes, it is fear that I may do something to bring them physical harm. But there's also fear that your presentation is going to be boring. Yeah. There's also fear that you're going to be judgmental. All these fears that people have, and you can bring in humor to say, hey, actually, no, no, no. This isn't a horror movie. This is a comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm safe. I'm a friend. If you were in danger, you wouldn't be laughing, right? You'd be right. screaming. You'd be scared. Yes. And so when you use humor, it's like, oh, this person, I thought I was going to get one thing. Oh, no, this person's actually pretty cool. I've seen some of the most boring speakers ever open their talks with a joke. And you could see the whole room. People were like, did he just say? Did he just say? Oh, maybe this guy's all right. You know? And so for me, I know I have a lot going against me as far as my physical stature and my job position. And a lot of people are going to think I'm going to be this robot. I'm going to be this enforcer. I'm going to talk like this, ma'am, get on the ground, you know? And when I don't do that and I use humor, it, it, it opens people up. It makes them willing to interact with me. Sure. And so that's how I use it at work. Yeah. How, you know, I imagine most of our audience, they're not stand-up comedians. Most of the people listening are entrepreneurs. They're in business. They're working. And their job requires that they speak well. My question for you is how can some of our listeners bring more humor into their work and daily lives? Yeah, it's a really good question. The phrase I like to use is be humorous at all times and when necessary, tell a joke. And what I mean by that is if you spend 10, 15 minutes answering the question, how do I make someone laugh? You will be shocked with how long the list is. You could make someone laugh by making a funny face. You can make someone laugh by sending them a meme. You can make someone laugh by doing a dance. You can make someone laugh by telling a joke. You can make someone laugh by talking about one of your failures. You could, and you just, it just keeps going. There's so many different ways to make people smile. And cats out the bag, everything's better with humor. Would you rather have a boss or a boss with a sense of humor? Would you rather have a uh, romantic partner or a romantic partner with a f- sense of humor? Would you rather have a pastor or a pastor with a sense of humor? Everything is better with a sense of humor. Hmm. And there is so many ways to make a person laugh that don't involve telling a knock, knock joke, right. <laughs> you know, like, right. that don't involve that. And so spend some time researching that and just brain, you can just brainstorm, think about it. And there's going to be a whole list of things where you're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. Who cares? You could do one or two of them. Hmm. You could share a pun. Yeah. You know, like you can, yeah. you can do that. And so you incorporate those at the beginning of your presentation, or this is my favorite time to do it. You're in a zoom call. And the Zoom call starts at 12 and it's 11.50 and you're there a little awkwardly early. So you're talking to this one person. You have a chance to crack a little joke there, right? Yep. It's like in the, in before, the after, and the talks, you could write a funny note. You can draw a funny, uh, a funny picture, a little cartoon. Hmm. These little moments to bring smiles to people's faces can be incorporated into so many different ways uh, in your life. And you don't have to be up there with a microphone uh, recording yourself. If you could talk to somebody right now who thought of themselves as like absolutely not funny. Yeah. 
They're, you know, they're not born with it. They're quiet. They speak with a monotone voice. I mean, the whole nine yards. But they're like, I would love to work at this. I, would, I, I don't know where to start. There's books. There's all of this stuff. Even this podcast. Maybe there's a lot here. I'm soaking it up. What are one, two, even three steps? Like easily accessible steps. I mean, like, how would you recommend somebody put their left foot forward? so to speak, um, in adding humor to their lives? Like where would a person start if you could talk to someone right now? So the first thing I just, okay. <laughs> first step, take a yeah. deep breath. That's what he said. The first thing you want to do is you want to learn the rules so you can break the rules. So a big aspect of comedy is just saying the exact opposite thing that people are expecting you to say doing the exact opposite thing that people are expecting you to do, being socially deviant, breaking the norm. But if you don't know the rules, you cannot break them intelligently. So I'll give an example. When I came on this podcast, the the first thing I did was I talked about wanting to sell my t-shirt. I talked about saying the Pledge of Allegiance or a salute to the troops. I gave a toast to my tongue and I talked about stealing your fans. The reason I did that was because I read an article one time that was saying, if you want to be a successful stand-up comedian, here are all the things you should not do. And this is exactly what it said. It said, when you get on stage, get straight to your content. Do not try to sell merch. Do not make salutes to the troops. Don't do any toasts and don't do any (laughs) self-promotion. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh. You had to break the rules. <laughs> I know you had I, to break the rules. I know what I'm going to do on Christmas podcast. Because <laughs> the moment you know what the rules are, you oh, just do the opposite of that. But if you don't know what the rules are, you can't intelligently break them. And I experienced this, and I know you experienced this, where you're up in front of a crowd, people are laughing, and you have no idea why. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You're like, uh, did I say something wrong? Did I mispronounce something? Did I say a name wrong? Did I have a Freudian slip? You don't actually know why they're laughing. And it's because you don't know the rules. Hmm. And so understanding the rules of public speaking, understanding the rules of humor, understanding the rules of social etiquette, right? Yeah. If you know, oh, this is how you're supposed to behave, right? You're supposed to be giving people logical or emotional surprise parties, right? So they think you're going this way. Here's your opportunity to bring this little moment of joy. You have to know what they're expecting in order to do the opposite of it. So learn the rules to break the rules. So is that why that worked at the beginning is because your audience doesn't, they're not expecting that or they intuitively don't want to hear that, but you broke the rules in a way that was, that brought levity to the yeah, and show. this is a super professional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've listened to every episode of this podcast, and I was wow. like, this is everything I ever wanted to come on a show where they're going to pick apart everything I say and just <laughs> make me feel like crap for the way I talk. Let's go. In like, other words, you, you beat me to the punch. Yes. Before I could pick it apart, you yeah. picked apart everything before the show started. And so, yeah, well I, know, played. I know your audience is expecting to listen to very polished and well thought out and put together. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go up there and do everything wrong. And I don't care because I'm being socially deviant, right? I yep, am yep. surprising people and I'm confident in it. I, I got two more. So that was one. Learn the rules to break the rules. Uh, the other one would be reuse your jokes to build confidence. So I think when people get a big laugh for the first time, like, let's say you're in your circle of your friends and everyone else always gets the laughs, but you never do. And then you finally tell that one joke and everyone laughs and you feel like you're on top of the world. You're like, I did it. I did it. 
people will then try to chase that moment by using different material. And it's so silly because if you look at stand-up comedy since it's pretty much beginning, people come up with sets and they take a joke, they use it on audience, and then they do this 10, 15, 20, 30, the same joke in all places across the country. And they fine tune it and they figure it out and they start to understand why it works and why it doesn't work. And then by the time they record their special, it's amazing. In the, in the stand-up special uh, you saw me do, I have a joke randomly thrown in there about pineapple pizza. And it got probably the biggest reaction in the sense where there were groans, there were laughs, there was, was debates. It was just bomb in the middle. And it had nothing to do with anything else I was talking about. The only reason I put that in there was because I had written probably five Facebook statuses in the last year about pineapple pizza. And every single time it got huge debates, likes, comments, dislikes. And I was like, I don't really understand what it is about pineapple pizza. Truth be told, I feel neutral about it. I don't even like believe the things I was saying. I don't have a stance on it. But I just knew that it worked. It was like, for whatever reason, people really like to argue and debate about pineapple pizza and it makes them laugh and it's a funny, joyous debate. So I threw it in the middle of my special and special. I threw it in the middle of my stand-up. It was special. <laughs> threw it in the middle of my stand-up, but I, the only reason I knew it worked because I had tried it out five times prior sure. in a different so medium. So it's been battle-tested. Yes, it has been battle-tested. So use it. And the last one I would say is, this is for all the people out there that enjoyed this talk and have no intention of applying it. This is for all the people out there that listen to all of Chris's podcasts and sermons and never intend <laughs> to apply any of the stuff. I appreciate you. <laughs> because... The premise of the question was, hey, if I'm not funny, what do I do? And I have good news and I have bad news for you. If you're not funny, that means you're funny. A hmm. huge aspect of humor is being bad at something. If someone gets on stage with a guitar and they start singing and they're bad at playing the guitar and they're bad at singing, it's funny. If someone gets on stage and they start dancing and they're horrible at dancing, but they're just going for it, it's funny. When you can tell, you can tell a story where the only thing that happens in the story is you completely fail at the thing you're attempting at. There's no punchline. There's no joke structure. You're mm -hmm. just telling a story about how you failed at something and people are cracking up laughing. If you're not funny, you're funny. Sure. And so all you have to do is apply this and start putting it in different contexts. Like I said, make a meme instead of sharing a meme. Hmm. Before the meeting starts, tell that jokes. When, you, when you're giving a speech, right? This is, this is the easiest thing to do. You're telling a story. It's like, yeah, they're on the dance floor. And I, you know, I shake my leg a little bit. And shake your leg a little bit. A little bit of physical humor. Just a yeah. little sprinkle. Yep. And you'll see, whoa, people reacted to that. It doesn't matter if you're bad at it. If you're sure. not funny, you lean into that. You call it out. You acknowledge it. Yeah. And you're funny. So you have no excuse. If you're not funny, you're if funny. If you're not funny, you've got plenty of material. Yes. I've found, I don't know, I think you brought this up at the beginning, actually, in the improv sessions with your family. Um, but I found self-deprecation to be a big toolbox because there's plenty of material about myself to laugh at. Yes. <laughs> there's always something there that I did that was silly or stupid that I can redeem and turn into a laugh. Yeah. People, people are ex want to see themselves in you, hmm. right? And so there's a little bit of mirroring that has to happen, a little bit of buy-in where they say, 
the way, what this person is talking about is believable. What this person is talking about, I could see myself in that situation. And when they do that, when they identify, when they connect with what you're talking about, that's the deception. Because now that they're locked in, now they know it's going to how it's going to go, sure. and that's how you deceive them, right? Mm. It's a sleight of hand. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's you like can, a magic trick. You, it's a magic trick. It, comedy is magic, and that's why it feels at times magical. Right? Like, right. how did they do? No way. I never saw that coming because it's just, it's pleasantly deceiving someone, right? Mm. It's enjoyable deception. It is a surprise party, right? But yep. it's a surprise and it's a party. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, this, this, this topic is so awesome. I could talk about it forever. But thank you for having me on. This was awesome. We could actually, do you want to keep talking for like five more minutes? Well, I actually was thinking of something you said last. See, you, you brought up the pineapple joke, mm -hmm. but nobody knows a pineapple joke. I can't let you go without telling us a pineapple joke. <laughs> the pineapple pizza joke? Yep. So, the the whole stand-up routine I did was about uh, a breakup that I had just gone through. And I start giving people advice in the middle of the the routine on dating and I give some really, really bad advice. And some people started to groan. You could see some people start side conversations and I just called it out. I was like, guys, this is bad advice. I know this. You don't take dating advice from me in the same way you don't take, I don't know, cooking advice from someone who likes pineapple pizza. And <laughs> the whole crowd just, oh, no, and just like, and so that that was my pineapple pizza joke, and so yeah, I just drew an analogy between yeah, if you if you like pineapple pizza, you clearly don't have taste buds that worked, and if you're Ariel Borne and you're 30 years old and you're <laughs> not married, <laughs> you probably shouldn't be giving dating dating advice, but we both do it. Well, there it is, folks. Uh, Ariel on the podcast today, my first guest, talking about the wonders and the magic of humor and comedy in everyday life. Ariel, thanks so much for joining us and teaching us a few things about how to make people laugh a little bit more. Thanks, brother. Hey everybody, hope you enjoyed this episode on Everyday Humor with my guest, Ariel. If you want to grow in your public speaking, whether it's at home or at work or from a pulpit or from a stage or just in your average business presentation, you want to level up some of those skills so that you can speak persuasively and effectively about things that matter to you and to those that you love, then grab a free copy of my five mistakes that public speakers commonly make. And as you are learning to inject humor and levity into your everyday life from this episode, you can also flatten the learning curve on those common mistakes so that you don't make them in our journey as conversional speakers and becoming leaders worth listening to. You can get that PDF at chrislazo.com.